This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Your Ingle Company, a podcast for like-minded people who want to make smart investment decisions. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm here with my good friend Sophie. Hello Maddie. As always, I'm very excited for today's episode as well. But before we start today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. This week is Reconciliation Week, and the theme is more than a word, reconciliation takes action, urging every Australian to implement real support to achieve equality between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. To support a cause that takes real action, head to childrensground.org.au to find out ways to contribute. So, Soph, what is all the excitement about this week? (laughs) Well, the excitement this week is really about being a plain, boring Jane, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds exciting. (laughs) Sounds exciting, I know. But it's really about investing in those big, good companies uh, for the long term, which can sound a bit boring, but really gives you those benefits. Look, I think it's pretty safe to say that that is the strategy that we now both do follow. But I think it kind of bypasses this question of what actually is a good company? Yes, well, I think that is the question on every investor's lips, especially yours, Maddie, considering you just (laughs) asked the question. (laughs) Why is it so hard, honestly? But that is why today we are joined by one of our expert investors, Emma Fisher. Now, Emma holds a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Sydney and has over 10 years experience in finance. She is an absolute superstar. We have fangirled for a while. (laughs) Guilty. Head of Research at the Early Funds Management as well as Portfolio Manager, responsible for co-managing the Early Australian Share Fund, which is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Check out the ticker AASF. We have been big fans of Emma for a little while now, and we are so excited that she'll be joining us today. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Emma, so much for coming on our show. We start every episode the same way with a couple of quick fire questions. So if you will allow it, can I ask, what is your morning routine? It's a funny one because I have a 10 month old, so I don't have a morning routine. Uh, so I play it by ear, um, but we get up early because obviously I have to go to work. At the moment, we're sort of everyone's starting to trickle back into the office. So I've got a morning commute, but basically I try to, you know, make sure she's fed and watered and happy. We have a little play um, before I leave, try to get out of the house before I start falling into a state of disrepair and she, I don't know, pulls out my phone. And then I guess for me, you know, the way that I like to start my morning on the way to work is uh, I walk to work. It's about an hour. I listen to podcasts on the way. Obviously, this will now be one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. But generally, my my sort of rule is, um, you know, I don't like to think about work before I start work. So I don't actually like check the news. 
I try not to think about stocks. I spend my hour walking in listening to podcasts about anything but um, finance and investing really. So, um, so that really, you know, I think like a lot of jobs, this job can be quite dense and uh, all consuming, especially with stocks because you're always thinking about them. Um, so I really try to delineate home and work and, and not really switch on until I'm in the office. That's fair enough. It's good to have a bit of perspective about, I guess, other issues that are happening in the world, not just the equity markets. Our second question for the day is, if you were a company or stock, who would you be and why? Oh, this is such a good question. You know, it's really hard. Like, I think if you asked my husband, he'd say something like, you know, afterpay, heavily (laughs) loss making and all my values in the future. (laughs) I'd be something really boring and old economy. Like, and I think when I think about investing, I'm not really attracted to these businesses that are, you know, early stage, sell you the dream, blue sky, like really exciting and glamorous, but like loss making. And you kind of have to believe the story or else these businesses are kind of going to go bust. So I, I definitely would be an old economy stock. I'd be something really boring and dependable. Uh, I'm not really selling myself here, am I? <laughs> Nothing like <laughs> You know, I respect that business. It's a great business. Yeah, they make money year in, year out. So hopefully, yeah, maybe that's a good business for me. I was going to say a bank, but that sounds much better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bank at the moment, um, they're doing pretty well, but um, probably eight out of ten years you wouldn't want to be a bank. Fair enough. And I guess the question to sort of take you back a little bit, when you first started investing, I know for a lot of us, getting into investing in the first place can be quite intimidating. So what would you say you were most afraid of? Oh, that's such a good question. What was I most afraid of? Um, I guess I was probably most afraid of uh, not making, you know, the many bags that I assumed my initial investments would make. And I probably didn't, you know, I didn't, I think when I think back to when I started investing, like I really didn't know what I was doing. And so when you don't know what you're doing, you almost can't lose. Um, I mean, you can lose all your money, you can lose your shirt, but (laughs) one of my principles, I I guess we can come to this a little bit later, but I think in investing, you should never start out um, putting any money into the market that you can't afford to lose. And that's not because you will lose it um, or that the market is particularly risky or gambling or anything like that. Um, It's just that, you know, the the worst thing is to need that money back um, and have to sell it in inopportune time. So when I first bought, you know, the very first parcel of shares I bought, I think, uh, I'd, I'd sort of saved up some money working as a checkout chick at Woolies and it was $500 I think was the minimum that you have to buy to, well, back then you had to buy to invest. So I invested $500 and, you know, it was nothing that I couldn't afford to lose, although it was probably actually my life's, life savings at the time. <laughs> so I don't think I, I went into it with a huge amount of fear. Um, I don't think when you're young you have a huge amount of fear. I've got much more fear now, I think. And when you're investing by yourself, you know, you can buy anything for any reason. You don't have to explain yourself to anyone. So, so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a huge uh, hill of fear that I had to climb over. It was a huge hill of ignorance, I think, <laughs> that I'm probably still climbing in many ways. <laughs> That's very funny that you say that you have more fear now because when I was speaking to my partner the other day about this, he was saying, surely like now you're more willing to put some money, random money away into investing because you can like lose it because when you're older, you have babies and you have kids and you have to think about all those responsible things. And I'm like, I still am not in that mindset where I'm like, oh yeah, I could just chuck away money. Like I'm still <laughs> going to be just as risk adverse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, look, I think risk aversion, it definitely is a personality thing. Mm. Um, you know, if I look at the, the person that got me into investing is my grandfather and he is very much a product of the depression. 
Uh, and he he loves dividend paying stocks. He loves this idea that you can invest in businesses and, and have that investment generate you an income. So he's really at one end of the risk aversion spectrum. You know, when you've got, when you're happy to lock up your money for 30 or 40 years, you probably don't think about it too much. But as you move closer to retirement, you definitely move to a more risk averse position because you've built up wealth and you're really trying to protect that capital rather than necessarily double or triple your money. Yeah. Well, I guess actually that's probably a good way to move into what we want to talk about now, which is our goals and thinking, I guess, for the long term. So if you mentioned something like retirement, we think, and when we have discussions about this, we think it's really important to have those money goals that, so that you can keep working towards them. Do you kind of also believe this and why is it important to have those goals when when starting out investing? It's always in life important to have goals because if you know what you're working towards, then you can kind of break it down into much smaller steps to get there. So when you're thinking about investing, there's a few things that I'd recommend. You know, The first one is, as I said, you want to play with surplus cash. The most important thing is you you never want to have to need the money back in the short term. And I would call the short term really on a three-year horizon. So if you're, if you're, say, listening to this podcast and you're thinking, you know, I want to learn about investing, but really what I want to do is save for a house deposit, but, you know, so for the next few years I want to save, but I'm probably going to make more money if I invest that in the market and I'll get there quicker. I'll get to my deposit quicker. That wouldn't be my recommendation. I would consider them sort of, different buckets uh, or or different goals almost. So I would separate uh, the money that I was wanting to invest from the money that I was wanting to save towards, say, a house deposit. And I would only really invest money that I'm happy to tie up for, you know, a decade really because it may actually take that long in some instances if you get it wrong for the idea to really work for you. Now, hopefully across the board it doesn't and hopefully, you know, you can – you have the opportunity if you do make an investing mistake to cut your losses and, and, and not take too much of a haircut on your original investment. But that may not be the case. Yeah. So you touched on there sort of that three years, which you would sort of consider to be short term. And then I guess being prepared because we talk about that surplus capital and in theory, you're prepared to lose whatever you put into the stock market. So we want to be prepared to stay in for around that sort of five, 10 year plus mark. So it really is those long-term goals that we're working towards when we're investing. Do you have any examples of sort of long-term goals that you personally have that you're putting your money towards? You know, my largest position, as you'd expect, is um, the early Australian share fund. So shameless plug for the early Australian share fund. It's listed on the ASX. So it's actually really easy to buy and sell it. You can trade it through, you know, I don't know, a Comsec trading app. Um, you just enter the ticket. So that's, that's you know, my largest holding as you'd expect that it will be. And really the idea there is that our fund invests in 25 to 30 of uh, our best ideas in the Australian market. So these are, you know, as I said, these are really good businesses that have strong balance sheets run by really good management teams and, and at attractive valuations. So whenever I get, you know, people asking me for, as you do in this industry, like friends or family asking you for stock tips, that's usually the one that I refer them to purely because that's where all our best ideas go. But if I look at, you know, maybe before I joined Daily and and sort of how I built my own personal portfolio, I've always just been really drawn to this question of, you know, what's a good company? And it spills into real life. You know, I'm always kind of looking around and assessing businesses and, and trying to figure out, you know, the answer that I've sort of come to is that a good company is one that can earn a good return on its capital. And basically, if you earn a good return on your capital, it's because you've got something special going on. 
you know, you've got a barrier to entry or you've got um, sticky customer base or, you know, there's some some reason that means that you're able to generate more of a profit than an average business. You know, I, I, I'm a believer in, in investing in Australian businesses as an individual investor purely because it's sort of easy to make these judgments about what a really good business is. I remember having a discussion with my, uh, my sister. She wanted to get started investing. She wanted some advice about what sort of businesses to own. And I was talking to her and her husband and I said, well, you know, what, what businesses are you really passionate about as a customer? You know, where do you have a really good experience? What businesses do you, do you like? And she said Kmart and he said Bunnings. And I was like, well, do I have a business for you? Because they're actually owned by the same company, which is Wes Farmers, which is listed on the stock exchange. So in this one business, you can invest in two of you know the greatest businesses in Australia. And, and that's another one that I think has been a really good investment over time. So I've always been drawn from a personal perspective to grappling with this question of, of what's a good business. Now, as I said, like I haven't always gotten it right. And some businesses that I thought were good businesses haven't, haven't really turned out to be. You know, that's the best thing about investing and personal investing is it's a constant learning journey. The other piece of advice I give is that you probably know more than you think you know. I think people can focus with investing on, you know, I've got to become an expert. I've got to read these books. I've got to understand market cap and enterprise value and price to earnings multiples. I mean, none of that actually really matters. Um, at the end of the day, you're investing in a business. Like you're literally becoming an owner, a part owner in a business. So all this financial market stuff, like it's invisible. It doesn't really exist in the real world. What matters is assessing the business. You know, if, if you're a gamer and you're spending every month going down to JB Hi-Fi, chatting to the staff, selecting a game, and you really enjoy that experience and you know that you're not buying those games online because you really like the experience of going and picking the game and talking to the staff and that whole in-store experience, then go out and buy JB Hi-Fi shares. You know, you understand the business. It's a simple business. You can probably understand, um, you know, the, the how the permutations of the economic cycle might affect that business and when you might want to sell it. Um, so yeah, that's my advice. Like keep it simple, build on the observations that you as an individual can make. And it doesn't have to be complicated. You just sort of have to find good businesses and then get out of your own way. Like that's, that's another part of it is, you know, the impetus to check your stocks every day. And that's the thing is like, you can't look at the share market as a scorecard, maybe in the very long term, like just imagine buy the shares and just imagine that the market's closed to you for years and you can't actually trade them. Because if you were buying a stake in a private business, that would be the case. So I think you have to think, you know, you're buying ownership in this business uh, and you really want to be an owner for the long term. And you can't use the fact that the share price exists as a kind of mark to market on your sense of whether or not it was a good idea. Because, you know, as you say, you're probably going to draw the wrong conclusions for that. Like, and I, you know, I, I've shared this story before, but the market had rallied sort of, this is pre-COVID, the market had reached a peak and and the sign at the top for me was my mum texting me going, oh, my shares are up. I should be a fund manager like you. I'm so great. You know, <laughs> that, you know, that, that can be a really, um, you know, it's a kind of a counterintuitive signal um, that, yeah, when you think you're God's gift to investing um, and you need the, you know, the humility of, of having a bit of a pullback to, to realise that, you know, we don't always know everything. Yeah, I think that's a great point and it really just talks to, I guess, sort of the fact that to an extent so much of us 
don't know what we're doing. I don't know if that's the wrong thing to say in this moment, but you know, if you're afraid of investing or you feel like you don't know enough information, actually the the results in the stock market don't really reflect, you know, the fact that we are all outperforming because we all know so much more than anyone else. It really does sort of come back to the general volatility, which is why we want to be in it for the long term. I guess what I did want to ask was if you're sort of sitting at home and you're looking at your savings account and wanting to start putting some of that into investing, looking at sort of, you know, your goals and getting a really good idea of that, how would you sort of, do you have any tips for how to then really translate that into, you know, deciding how much cash I need to keep and how much I can sort of afford to put into the stock market? Oh, look, I think the actual dollar amount at the end of the day is going to come down to your individual circumstances. But I, you know, and I just bring it back to what I said before, which is just make sure that if whatever you're investing is money that you'd be happy to tie up and that you don't need back in the medium term. The, you know, the other piece of advice in terms of entering the market is because ultimately in the long run, your return will be a function of the original price you paid. And at various points in time, the market can be, you know, wildly overvalued and undervalued and good opportunities usually present themselves, you know, once every year or two, you'll get a, you know, small pullback in the market. And that can be a really good time to add money rather than sitting out on the sidelines and waiting for that opportunity or even worse. And I see this a lot sitting on the sidelines and waiting for what I call like the big one where you've read some stuff and, and you've convinced yourself that, you know, the financial system's a house of cards and it's all going to come crashing down and equity market's going to be down 90% at one point and that's when you're going to put all your money to work. You know, just just let go of that idea. You're never going to be able to time the market correctly and just go back to the facts which are equity markets rise six out of seven years on average. So, you know, it re- the most powerful tool in your arsenal is sorry, it's a bit of a hackneyed saying, but this saying of time in the market rather than trying to time the market. You know, maybe one strategy to combat that and combat this um, trying to pick the right timing is just to come up with a rule before you start investing. A really common one is dollar cost averaging. So the idea here is, and I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast before, but the idea here is say I decided I want to invest $10,000 but I don't, I don't want to put it all in at one share price um, that reflects that day's market sort of conditions. Maybe I can say, well, I'm going to break that up into 12 monthly amounts. I think a good rule of thumb when you're investing in good, solid businesses, the very long run return of the equity market is around that 7% per annum. And a big chunk of that comes through dividends as well. But if you use that sort of 6 to 7% per annum as your expectation of a return from the equity market, then you can kind of see and compare it to other forms of debt. To be honest, I'd say if, if you're paying an interest rate on something that's above 5%, I would pay that off before I would invest uh, in the share market. It's a good rule of, rule of thumb that we can follow. You know, just recognizing that we're in, you know, we're in a pretty low interest rate world. Like I have uh, a personal share portfolio and I have, you know, uh, unfortunately a very large mortgage. <laughs> So I'm paying a very low rate of interest on that mortgage and I love investing. So I'm going to run those two things concurrently. But if I was in a world in which I was paying a 7% or an 8% mortgage rate, you know, heaven forbid that that should ever happen again, it's going to make investing in equities more fiscally challenging for me uh, and it will make the hurdle rate that I require from those shares higher. So, you know, that's probably how I think about debt. I I don't think, I think a mortgage at the end of the day, I think that's a very, um, you know, the interest rates that we're paying a very manageable rate that kind of incentivizes also being invested in the equity markets. 
if you can afford both, I guess. We are loving this episode with Emma Fisher and we'll be right back after a quick break for our sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Emma, you touched earlier on how I think your grandfather got you into investing in the first sort of instance, but we would love to hear a little bit more sort of a background on your investment journey so far and maybe you know the key benefits that you've experienced from from investing in financial markets yeah sure like I think when I think back on my own journey in investing I think anyone's journey into investing start like has its genesis in your attitude towards money and when I think back really long term like I've always been interested in businesses and making my own money since a very young age I'll tell a potentially embarrassing story when I was like Five or six. One of my earliest like sharp memories was a friend and I. God, this is so lame. We um, collected a bunch of rocks and we painted them, and then we dipped them in glitter. I mean, these are pretty impressive rocks. And we set up a stall uh, on the side of the road selling these glittery rocks for like fifty cents each. And like it was total pity money. Like you know, I have a daughter now, and if I walked past two little girls selling glittery rocks, uh, you know, I'd clear out the stall. Um, but it was thrilling. Like I remember it really vividly. And I remember afterwards, like, I don't know, we'd made $2 each or something like counting all the money, dividing it by two and like, you know, me going home and just bragging about this brilliant business that I'd stumbled upon. Um, and I think like, you know, even when I think of stories like that, it's pretty clear that my personality the whole way along has been one, you know, I'm interested in, I guess, businesses. And, and then that kind of fed into, you know, growing up as a teenager, I grew up in a family where if you wanted something, you had to earn the money to go out and get it. Um, and I was totally okay with that. Like I, I always enjoyed having a job. You know, I worked at Video Easy. I worked as a checkout chick at Woolworths. Like I had just a job the whole way through. I made my own money. So, you know, that that was always kind of just what life was for me. Um, so I think, you know, the, the step into investing was kind of a natural one for me because I always just enjoyed managing my own finances. And my grandfather, he gave me an annual report one day, like a Commonwealth Bank annual report, and he said, I think you could do something like this. He'd always been investing and, and no one really in the family had shown any interest or <laughs> paid any attention to it. So I think he kind of, when I showed like a modicum of interest, he was like, right, like, you know, I'll get my hooks into her and we can chat about this stuff. And, and we really bonded over it. And he showed me how to open an account. And, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I remember I would just refresh the page every you know, and just watch my money go up $20 and down $20. It was just really exciting. It was kind of like, you know, it was just something new to check every day. Like you check, you wake up, you check your email, you check your <laughs> stocks. Like, 
it was great. And um, at the time I was studying commerce law and I really didn't like the law. I found it quite boring and dry. So, but I was kind of, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like I was studying philosophy and French and Spanish and I was just looking for something, like looking to find something. And and I found this. And so I changed to finance. And funnily, you know, the first year of finance, I actually really hated it. And, you know, in retrospect, that's probably because I didn't do very well. And it's always hard to figure out if you hate something because you're doing badly at it or because it's generally objectively um, a boring topic. But corporate finance just wasn't for me. Um, but then I did this course in my maybe my third year of finance and it was um, just this one semester um, on this topic of uh, equity market valuations. And I remember it was basically this semester where all you did was like model companies on Excel, um, read the annual report, build a model, try to figure out, you know, where sales might go, try to figure out what profit margins might be. Uh, if the cash grows, what assumption do you need to make around the you know, the cash needs of the business as it grows. I just loved it. I just thought it was so, so interesting. And that's when I decided I wanted to do it as a career. So I went out and tried desperately to get an internship from anywhere that would take me. I ended up in an equity research internship uh, at a place called Nomura. And uh, that's sort of, that was my entry. And, you know, this is, this is the only sort of proper career job I've ever done, really. Like I started in this industry when I was 20. And I've always loved it, and I and I feel really lucky, I guess, that uh, that I've stumbled into an industry that's just so genuinely interesting. Um, you can do it as a hobby; it's it's really interesting as a hobby. But it's it's great when you can sort of make your hobby your day job. So I feel quite lucky about that. But actually, when I reflect upon it, you know, I think it's a shame that um, I didn't know this job existed when I was in high school. You know, I didn't have. I think you know about roles like this in, in, in the industry, maybe when you're younger, if your parents work in the industry, and I didn't have that. And there was certainly at my school, I went to an all-girls school, and when I think back, you know, all the smart girls in my year who got good marks in the HSC, they'd go and study media communications. That was like the glamorous industry. No one wanted to work in finance, myself included. I had no idea it was an industry. So... I get involved in these conversations around, you know, why aren't there more women in finance? And I think it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's not a demand thing. There's plenty of demand for women in finance. Um, it's a supply issue. And I think the supply starts really young. So hopefully, you know, there's girls listening to this podcast that are in, in high school and know about this industry, this great role, um, a lot earlier than I did. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It took to the age of 19 or 20 to even figure out that this was a career. Yeah. And I love that you said that, you know, you sort of had your grandfather with you when he started out your investment journey to do things with, because that's something that Sophie and I sort of reflected on quite early in the series when we said we both had people to sort of start that journey with. And we found that it really helped us for bouncing ideas and learning off each other. One thing I did want to ask is there's this buzzword that we always hear when people talk about investing and that is compound interest. And I'm, or I guess it's buzzwords, isn't it? But I'm hoping that you might be able to explain to us a little bit what, what compound interest actually is. Yeah. So the idea behind compound interest is that the longer you invest as a certain, earning a certain rate of return, that that, it just works exponentially. Now, I'm going to absolutely massacre this analogy, but it's basically, you can Google this. If you folded a piece of paper over on itself, say, 32 times, how thick uh, do you think that it would end up being? And most people will give an answer like, oh, you know, I think it would be as thick as a telephone book or something like that. It would actually be as thick as, you know, the distance between here to the moon. 
And that's, that's you know, the power of exponential growth and that's really what you're tapping into with, with compound investing. So, you know, if something grows 10% the first year, uh, then the second year it's growing 10% off a higher base. Then the third year it's growing 10% off a much higher base. That's why it's a really powerful concept. And the beauty behind that concept is the younger that you get started in investing, the earlier you hear about this concept, you know, the longer your money is just sitting around ticking over in the background working for you. There's another, um, again, I'm sort of going to butcher it. I'm probably going to get the figures wrong, but basically there's another kind of analogy that's doing the rounds at the moment that um, basically mathematically, if you started investing at the age of 16, you put $2,000 a year into the market and you stopped at the age of 22, stopped putting the extra two grand and you just let the lump sum compound versus the situation where you start at 22 and you put two grand a year away until you're ready to retire. If you compare those two lump sums of money, the person who started earlier and only put in, you know, uh, six years worth of $2,000, they end up with more money because of the power of compound interest of, of starting earlier. So again, you know, these, these are really powerful concepts. I love that compound interest story about the one that when you start earlier and then you leave it versus if you start a little bit later. And I think that is an incredible lesson for anyone who is thinking about maybe getting into the stock market, but has kept putting it off because really that just goes to show how much you just got to take the plunge and get into it now and not tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the important thing, though, I guess, about compound interest is it, it kind of presupposes that you're investing in a certain type of business. Um, it presupposes that you're investing in a business that generates really good cash flows and pays those out. Um, so I think, you know, when we, we bring it back at early to investing, one of the things that we look for is a business with a really good balance sheet that can withstand, you know, I think the last year's taught us you never know what's around the corner. Um, and a lot of really good businesses in March sold down to dramatically undervalued levels because everyone thought they'd be insolvent. You know, we were suddenly doing all this analysis to assess whether or not these businesses could literally keep the lights on if they had no revenue coming in. And these are businesses, you know, everyone thinks maybe maybe that's a risk for, say, an airline, but, you know, you never think that this is a risk for retailers or, or any of the other businesses that saw their share prices fall 60 to 70%. Toll roads, you know, toll roads are meant to be the safest of the safe businesses. Mm. It was this big risk that disrupted their business. So the point being, you know, you never know what's around the corner. So we we put a really strong focus on investing in businesses with really strong balance sheets uh, as well as attractive valuations. So I think that's important to access the power of compound interest. You've got to be investing in businesses that have something special about them. Now, the, the good thing about that is, you know, as I was saying, if you're an Australian consumer, you're probably already dealing every day with businesses that have something pretty special about them. I guess you've got to kind of get your head around the idea that all these really big names that we deal with every day, and I guess I'm talking in consumer land, but there's a whole bunch of businesses, you know, even the major banks, Woolworths, Coles, it's not just your JB Hi-Fi's and your Bunnings. All these businesses that you're dealing with every day, they've, you know, if you think of survival of the fittest, you know, they've risen to this exalted level where they've dominated their own local profit pools and become the number one or number two or number three player in the Australian market. And we all know their names and we all use these businesses every day. So there's almost this really powerful kind of um, survivorship bias that means that when you're investing in the large companies in the ASX, you're actually um, by, by nature of that investment 
kind of hitching your wagon to really good, powerful businesses. So there can be an attraction, especially when you are young. And as I said, I did it too. There can be an attraction to these exciting biotechs and because you think they're going to be the ones where you can make 10 times your money in. Maybe on a couple of them you will. But don't underestimate the power of just buying these really good, seemingly boring businesses and, and really hitching your wagon to these powerful economic moats they have. Now, I'll give you an example. So I've talked about Bunnings before. That's a really good business. But when you think about this question of why is it a good business, it's because it doesn't really have much competition. You know, there's daylight between Bunnings footprint and position in Australia and, and the number two, which would, I guess, be Mitre 10. But Woolworths obviously had a crack. So a number of years ago, Woolworths said, you know what, Wes Farmers um, make a lot of money in Bunnings. Um, We've got deep pockets. We know retail. We know property. We're going to start up a competing business called Masters and we're going to go out and we're going to take a share of that profit pool. And over a couple of years, they burnt hundreds of millions of dollars and they basically had to abandon that strategy, sell off the property, close down the business. And I think that just shows you that if Woolworths can't do it, if Woolworths with their pockets and their expertise can't come in and take a piece of that profit pool, then Bunnings has got something pretty special going for it. So, I, you know, I just think that a lot of these businesses that you might think of as, as boring and everyday businesses, they've actually survived and risen to the top. And it can be a really powerful, albeit sort of get rich slow scheme when you're investing, just to buy these businesses and, and sort of forget about them um, and really just ride that over the long term. I think that should be our new model, get rich slow. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. That's that's a good um it's a good one. Yeah, I was gonna say pretty much the same thing. It's a it's it's a good mantra to have just to be thinking about long term, thinking about slow. <laughs> but uh, and we want to move into our almost last section of uh, each episode, which is what we call the watch list. So each episode we've been asking our guests to add a company, stock, news story, industry, trend, anything that's you're curious about at the moment or you've been thinking about. And the purpose of this is to get us thinking outside our normal box and broaden our horizons in the investing space. Obviously, this is purely for educational purposes and does not constitute any investment advice, but we would like to know what would you like to add to our watch list? Yeah, so I, I'm going to give you a stock because I'm a stock picker and I, it would be remiss of me to, to not um, you know, leave you with a business that I think is really interesting. And, you know, we hear a lot about electric vehicles um, and this is a big thematic. Uh, and, you know, I'm not really one for picking the eyes out of a thematic um, or doing too much thematic investing because I think, you know, the minute a thematic gets hot, there's probably a bunch of, you know, overvalued, hyped up companies in the mix there. Um, but one of the things, you know, there's this saying, um, you know, in the gold rush, you don't want to invest in, in the gold stocks. You want to invest in the people that are selling shovels to the gold miners. Um, so one of the businesses that I think is is selling shovels to uh, this electric vehicle trend is, a, is an Aussie listed business called PWR. They are a, a business based in Queensland and they are like a long term uh, high quality engineering business. And what they do is they make cooling systems and they actually make most of their money selling cooling systems into motorsports. So Formula One, NASCAR, V8. Uh, if you know anything about that industry, which I didn't, but some homework for you, there's this show on Netflix called um, Drive to Survive that's really I awesome. love this show. <laughs> it's so good. Totally obsessed with Formula One and I knew nothing about it and I thought it was so boring beforehand. Honestly, the drive to survive, really good show. But basically, I watched that 
for due diligence for this stock that I've invested in. <laughs> now it's just got me obsessed with Formula One. But if you watch that show, it's pretty clear that uh, these teams, all they care about is having the fastest race car. So the fact that this Aussie business is supplying every single team in Formula One with their cooling systems. Uh, so cooling is really important for a car because if a car overheats, you know, it goes kaput. Um, so the fact that this Aussie business is supplying all of them tells you how good this Aussie business is. Like they have to be the best in the world to be supplying Formula One. Uh, so their core business is a phenomenal business. Um, and what they're investing in right now is, you know, the opportunity in electric vehicles is, you know, if you use your laptop a lot, it gets really hot. When you use, you know, electronic products a lot, they get really hot. So an electric vehicle actually uses more cooling than an internal combustible engine. Uh, so as you see this shift towards electric vehicles, we think that this business will be selling more cooling systems per car. And so, you know, they make half of their money today out of motorsports and half of it uh, through a range of other, uh, you know, selling into high value, you know, million dollar hypercars, they sell the, the cooling systems into those. So as the market goes towards electric vehicles, they'll be selling more cooling systems per car. So we think it's a really exciting business. It's got a net cash balance sheet, so it's you know it's it's sitting on a very strong cash position. The other thing we like about it, and this is something that we're pretty big on in our fund, uh, is it's an owner managed business. So what I mean by that is the original founders of the business are still running the show today, uh, and we found that over time we've tested this a lot of different ways. But over time, these owner managed businesses they tend to give you phenomenal results. And it's because the, the founders, they understand it. It's their baby. They've got all their families' uh, wealth and fortune and, and future tied up in these businesses. So they've got really high alignment with you as an individual shareholder. You know, we're always looking for skin in the game when we look at and assess management teams. We want to see management teams that are incentivized to make really good long-term decisions, not just decisions that are going to win for a business in the short term. So my tip, I guess, is, you know, investing alongside owner-managed businesses in general is a really fruitful investing strategy. And this is one example of a business that ticks all those boxes. It's got an exciting future. It's got a great balance sheet. It's a really good owner-managed business. And, um, you know, I think it's really cool that this Aussie business that you've never heard heard of is supplying all these um you know formula one racing teams yeah and i think that's such an awesome way to think about investing when you see this trend or you see this thing that's becoming more and more popular and it's instead of you know investing in the tesla it's thinking about how else can i get sort of exposure to this industry that's growing really rapidly and i think that's an awesome example of that yeah yeah no you're spot on there and I guess to round out our episode, the final question that we love to ask all of our guests um, is what piece of advice would you give to your younger self when you first started out investing? That is a good question. Uh, I'd say have fun with it. I think I always did and I think I still do, but I think that's good advice for anyone that's getting started in investing. You know, it's a great way to feel connected with the world. I think good investors will be intellectually curious by nature um, but it's a way to really open your eyes to, you know, you start to see the economy as just a bunch of people trying to earn a return on their capital. And and I think, it you know, it, it makes reading the paper more interesting. It makes conversations with people from different industries more interesting. It's just a way to sort of, you know, get get plugged into 
to all different businesses and, and economies and um, and global news. So, you know, I, I've, I've always been, I think in investing you have to be like a glass half full person. I think it pays to be optimistic. As I said, markets rise six years out of seven. So, you know, I think having that optimistic framework and just seeing it for what it is and going back to my rule about only investing money that you're willing to lose, if you follow that rule and you've got, you know, essentially play money um, in the market, uh, you know, it, it should be something that you enjoy doing. It should be something that you find really interesting. It's one of those things where, you know, it's it's the world of constant learning. Every year you should become a better investor. Um, and so every year it should be more fun for you and you learn more things. So, you know, it's, it's advice to myself that I think I've been lucky enough to also sort of follow. But, you know, it's been an up and down road. And I think when I was younger, I was a lot harder on myself for my mistakes. And, you know, you, you get things wrong, you invest in businesses that go, uh, that don't go well, and, and you spend a lot of time feeling like an idiot and feeling like you've missed something. But the reality is every investor is going to make mistakes. And, in fact, you learn more from your mistakes. You should make mistakes. Mistakes are good. You learn way more from your mistakes than, you know, having an easy run and getting everything right because that's when you get complacent. So, you know, looking back on my time investing, like, you know, I should have been kinder to myself. Um, and seen it for what it was, which was steps along a journey. Um, and it's a journey that's that's continuing and, and hopefully will continue for a while yet. Yeah, I think that's a it's really good what you've said in terms of just keeping it fun and exciting. Obviously, you do have to think about, you know, your longer term goals and thinking into the future. But Maddie and I, we know that from starting ourselves, it's just been empowering and exciting. As you said, it's something else to look at. It gives you kind of a broader understanding of macro trends that are happening, as you said, in the news. So I think that's a really uh, great piece of advice just to have a bit of fun with it, try it out, learn along the way. Absolutely. Now, Emma, just to finish off tonight, we wanted to say a huge thank you. Everything you have said has been so insightful and we hope that people can really gain something out of this. Before we finish up, is there anywhere where people can find you on social media, Instagram, Facebook? Is there anything you want to last minute plug (laughs) for people? All I could say is our website. It's a, it's a boring, you know, boomer answer, and I am a millennial. But I, yeah, all I could refer you to is is our website. The uh, just Google Early Australian Share Fund, and we have a lot of stock stories. We have a lot of videos. All the information's on there. Thanks so much for your time tonight, Emma. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today with the lovely Emma Fisher. We hope that you took some valuable lessons away about getting rich slow. As always, we would love if you could take a photo of where you're listening today and share on your Instagram and tag YIGC podcast. You can also join our Facebook group, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group, where you can ask questions that you have or share ideas that you find interesting or just copy off other people's ideas, I guess. Exactly. (laughs) Copy. At the beginning of today's episode, we spoke about this year's Reconciliation Week. The theme is More Than a Word, Reconciliation Takes Action, a theme urging every Australian to implement real steps to achieve equality between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. In doing so, the team at Equitymates want to highlight a grassroots organisation making meaningful long-term change. Children's Ground is an organisation providing Aboriginal families the best in education, health promotion, employment and community development. Their 25-year commitment to each child they work alongside means an entire generation will grow up with hope and opportunity. If you have the capacity this Reconciliation Week, consider supporting Children's Ground or head to www.childrensground.org.au to find out one of the many ways that you can support their work. (laughs) 
You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of You're in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.